Welcome to the Styano Plastic Surgery Podcast with plastic surgeon JJ Styano, the only plastic surgeon in the UK who owns a clinic specializing in breast and body contouring. Good evening. It is Tuesday night and I know I have been away for a few weeks and I also know that I think I was supposed to come back last week and I was sort of still away really. Um, I say away, I haven't been away, I've been here but there's been stuff going on so I uh, am back now and it's uh, it's on, you know, Tuesday night, Double uh, J Styano at your service the uh, plastic surgeon to the stars if you've got any questions then by all means uh, chip in and um yeah so i'm back back on uh, on the saddle as it were so it's all kicking off on instagram um facebook less so but i think someone is on facebook that's good you know you can't have everything actually it could be on youtube because let's not forget that uh, i am a uh, official youtuber um hope you had a nice easter break nice to be back thanks corinne can i can I like? I can. I can like that comment. There you go. Um, thanks, Corin. So, what we got going on? Well, I'll tell you what we got going on. We've got some questions here, which uh, I'm going about to uh, share with you. But if you've got a question out there and uh, you want to ask, then just do that. But uh, if you haven't, just listen. They've got. Um, I hope you can't hear them. I mean, they just don't seem to care. I hope you can't hear what's going on next door. They know full well what goes on in here on a Tuesday after you know, Tuesday evening, but uh, they don't seem to show any respect to the uh, man of the house. But hey ho. Um, anyway, let's go. What we got? What do people mean when they talk about surgeons performing an internal bra during breast uplift surgery? Please, do you recommend this? I have actually officially done a blog post on this quite a while ago. So if you Google Styano internal bra, I could probably post the. Um, link if i had it but uh hi elaine nice to see you good to see you i am very well thank you um do you know what i'm gonna i can't put it on instagram but i'm gonna do that now so anyway so what they mean is the uh yeah there you go and i think the blog post is actually called why we don't do the internal blog there you go anyway so um it is the link to the i don't know how to do this uh on facebook not on facebook i've just done it on facebook have i then i'll do it on instagram anyway if instagram people um so basically um the what people mean when they talk about an internal bra is one of the problems with doing a breast lift it's one of the big limitations of breast lifts is that the volume doesn't stay up high you think in your mind a breast lift is putting the volume up high on your chest and it is and it does initially but it always settles i use the word settle i don't want to use the word droop um but you know it that fullness does sag a little bit a little bit um, and so this is something you've got to be clear about with patients prior to having a breast lift because in their mind they're thinking, wait a minute, 
you can't be using the word sag if I'm having a breast lift. The reason I'm having a breast lift is because they sag. I don't want them to sag afterwards. Now, obviously, they don't sag as bad as they were before, but it's important to be aware of what's reasonable. Now, I always say to people that it actually gives you a natural result because a breast has a natural look to it, has a natural flow to it. It isn't sort of full in the upper pole. From the nipple up, is normal normally a concavity and then a convexity from the nipple down that's the normal shape of a breast and and that's a natural shape of a breast and that is what a breast lift achieves but it's about being aware of that and being comfortable with that if you're going to have a breast lift and some people have in their mind the sort of look that has got more fullness in the upper pole and even a, a con vexity in the upper pole or or you know sustained fullness in the upper pole and that is something that can only really be achieved with implants and that and some people don't want implants because they don't want to be bigger etc etc so the problem with breast lifts has always been that shape issue and that's where the internal bra has come in because the concept of an internal bra is something that holds them up. Obviously, a bra will hold them up. So once you've had a breast lift, you can always wear a bra and, and push them up. Um, but it, it, the the internal bra is doing a similar sort of thing, which is sort of pushing them up and, and keeping that fullness up there. And there are different ways people have su suggested it. There are people who have suggested it by using your own tissues and anchoring the tissues high up in the chest. And then there are ways where they use a uh, um, prosthetic material so uh, um, a a mesh to, to, to sort of uh, act as a support or a sling or a hammock to sort of keep that volume up to keep it from sagging and in my experience I haven't seen any good way of achieving this and any way then any time there's a lot of ways of doing something that usually means there's no good way of doing it um but i do think it is a noble pursuit i think it's a noble pursuit let me know if you can hear the hubbub next door because if you can i'll tell them to be quiet but if you, if you can't then that's fine um it's a noble pursuit to try and give that shape that some people want but i don't think we're there yet personally now i don't do it so therefore you could say, well, you don't know. So you could, but it's just from the results that I've seen and the potential for complications is also there. So you really need to speak to someone who does it, um, who would perhaps give a balance, balance well, I suppose you could argue no one's balanced because they're going to be balanced pro it. But, you know, speak to someone who does it and someone who doesn't do it and see who sounds reasonable um, <clears throat> is where I would be on that. But I do not recommend it personally. But as I say, people out there are doing it. I think, are they though? I don't even know if anyone's doing it, to be honest with you. Um, but if they are, then speak to them who and see if they're getting good results and see if they sound reasonable. Lisa, loving the fact that you've made, they made a comment there. Thank you very much. Does a breast reduction include a lift also? Yes, it does. So a lot of people will ring and say, can I have a breast reduction and a lift? And uh, you've got to be careful who you speak to that. So if you speak to one of the hospital, if you speak to somebody in admin in the hospital, they might look at the price of a breast reduction, price of a lift, and then quote you some ridiculously expensive um, price. But a lift is an integral part of a reduction. In reducing the volume of the breast, you also reduce the skin envelope, and that tightens the skin envelope and, does a, and performs a lift. So a lift and a reduction are essentially the same operation, 
but a lift involves removing some breast tissue and making your breast smaller, whereas, sorry, a reduction involves moving some breast tissue, whereas a lift only removes skin and just tightens the skin envelope and doesn't actually remove any breast tissue. Um, so yes, a breast reduction includes a lift. You don't have to say, I need a lift as well. Uh, everybody pretty much having, who, who needs a reduction, pretty much usually needs a lift because the breasts are, are sitting low. Um, so yeah, so I'm not a massive mahusive um, advocate of uh, internal bras. I don't know of anything personally. I don't know of anything that's gained traction that's that sort of plastic surgeons have embraced. I'm not aware of any, whether it be the the autologous, which is using your own tissue, sort of anchoring it up high, uh, method, or using slings and prosthetic materials. Nothing uh, that I'm aware of is really sort of properly taken off. Um, but it is a problem that could be improved upon. Uh, we've got a question. Look at that. We've got a question. Hi. What can cause a hard bulge in the upper tummy after tummy tuck? Um, well, um, well, difficult question to answer um, without sort of seeing you or examining you. But what what could cause it? Well, the, when you do a tummy tuck, you you repair the muscles and you bring the muscles together so there could be a bit of swelling a bit of bunching up there which could be a bit uh form of a, bit of a bulge up there there could be a localized hematoma um personally when i do a tummy tuck i do a a um uh, a tunnel if you like up to the up to the uh, ziphy sternum which is the, the the lower part of your, your sternum the lower part of your breastbone and uh you can you could potentially get some bleeding in there which cause some could cause some localized swelling and uh, and a lump uh, this would tend to settle after a, a few, probably a few months, maybe a few weeks, but pro probably a few months. Um, so it depends on the time scale. So it's in the, if it's in the first few weeks and months, it might be due to swelling, whether that be to, due to fluid or due to blood. Um, uh, it could be due to some localized area. Oh, 19 months. OK, 19 months post-op. So that's quite a long time post-op. Um, so that's likely probably to be something physical there. So uh, maybe a... Um, the the, the diverification repair if there was a diverification repair um brought together that call that could cause that lump um i have to examine you really could it be something else could there be a it's got progressively worse could there be a, a lipoma or some other thing there um i can't say it's a problem that it, it's not a common thing um a, a, a progressively worse swelling of the upper upper tummy 90 months post tummy tuck um but uh, definitely, if it's getting worse, I guess get it, get it, get it looked at. Um, go, go and see your surgeon. Get it looked at. Um, but um, I don't think there's anything worrying. But obviously, you don't like it because it sounds like it's a bit of a nuisance. So it could be investigated. I mean, if it's swelling, if it's if it's fluid, put a needle in and drain it. Uh, if it's a hard thing, maybe scan to have a look at to, to have a look to see if it's cystic or. Or um, you're welcome. I can like that, can't I? I can like these comments. Um, but sorry, I haven't really got much answers for you. But yeah, get it looked at and get a, maybe have an examination and, and see what's what. Um, Jenny's here. Nat Q, what you got? Hey, JJ, just want to stop by and say I'm nearly six months post Tommy Tuck with you and I'm still blown away the results. Thank you for everything you did for me. I will take some photos and email across. Thank you, Nat Q. And I hope your Christmas was okay because I remember you had that problem with the, the COVID just before Christmas, didn't you? So I hope it wasn't too um, too isolating. Um, but that's kind. Thank you for your comment. And uh, obviously happy to see you if you are in the uh, country. 
as it were. Um, but uh, yeah, that's kind. It's always good to see photos and yeah, keep in touch uh, here if you if you need me. Um, what we got going on here on Facebook? We got Amanda Lou. I just I asked about the subfascial placement. Do you have time for that today? Yes, I do, Amanda Lou. Um, sub. Hi, Khan. Good to see you, Khan. Yes, thank you. Uh, Megan, nice to see you. How are you? I'm going to heart that. There you go. Um, yes, you did, Amanda Lou, didn't you? That didn't get, that didn't get on the list, did it? The subfascial. What were, you, what were you asking about the subfascial? You said something like, oh, God, I remember you put a comment on Facebook, didn't you, Amanda Lou? Uh, I think you basically said, do I do, I do subfascial? And maybe someone had suggested that you do have a submuscular head or don't know dual plane wasn't it so yes so i think basically pros and cons of subfascial versus dual plane so dual plane uh it, first thing i would say amanda lou is i wouldn't worry too much about this stuff i wouldn't worry you know massively about this stuff patients tend to really get into it and really start talking about subfascial dual plane all this sort of stuff and i'm like it is a little bit technical this and i wouldn't necessarily expect the patient to really be involved massively in it i mean obviously you need to know nuances of it and be involved a bit but it is hard for you to have too much of a sort of input on it because it's something that we as surgeons sort of you know we we take time to decide where we think the best placement of the, of the implant is and by all means get involved but i wouldn't try and get yourself to be an expert in whether it goes subfascial or or um or sub uh, muscular um i've been quoted for dual plane but i really don't want to cut the muscle now personally amanda i don't charge a different amount whether it's dual plane or whether it's sub uh, fascial or or uh, some asset and corin uh, yeah good nice to see you, asset um so uh, i don't charge a different amount whether it's um sub fascial or sub muscular dual plane so i th i think uh, the price doesn't tend to come into it it's more of a sort of clinical decision really um, and you don't want to have the muscle cut which is completely fine um, and I totally understand that and uh, to be honest with you Amanda I don't think anyone would want to have the muscle cut if they didn't have to have the muscle cut and the problem is that there's good things about putting them under the muscle but there's also bad things about putting them under the muscle now it, it's not as bad as it sounds having the muscle cut to be honest with you um you don't divide all of the muscle you just divide a part of the muscle bit down the lower part here in order to put the implant underneath the the muscle so you don't um you know you're not massively um sort of damaging the muscle sort of thing um but obviously you are damaging the muscle a bit but i don't think that's a huge problem for most people um the main problems in terms of putting them dual plane, which is another word for submuscular, there's different types of dual plane, but basically they're underneath the muscle. The main problems with putting them under the muscle is it, it hurts when you cut the muscle, so it is a little bit more painful. It bleeds when you cut the muscle, so it can cause hematoma a bit more likely than having them on top of the muscle. And the other problems is the muscle consultant sometimes hold the implants high. So um, you can the implants are always a bit high to start with, but sometimes they stay high when they're on the muscle. And sometimes the you know, muscle can push the implants wide. If you get very wide cleavage, it's usually when they're under the muscle. And um, and uh, that can that can look unsightly if we, if we don't sort of release the muscle enough. So um, the other problem with putting them under the muscle is you can get animation deformities, which means if you do the gym and do movements, 
then the breasts move. So these are all bad things about putting them under the muscle. So I completely understand why you don't want to have them under the muscle. The reason people do have them under the muscle is because the muscle gives it an extra layer of coverage here in the upper bit. So it's really for people who are very slim, particularly if you can see ribs. When you can see ribs, you worry you'd be able to see implants, see rippling of the implant, etc. So that is the really good thing about putting them under the muscle. It does give better cover uh, in that cleavage area. So you're less likely to get rippling and less likely to see the edges of the implant. So it's a balance between the risks of being able to see the implant versus the risks of getting them sitting high, wide, animation, painful, hematoma. Um, and so it's about where you sit with that, depending on how much subcutaneous covering you've got, and also a little bit depending on type of implant. So some implants are more likely to ripple than others. So perhaps those ones you'd be more likely to put them under the muscle than other ones. So the smooth ones will ripple a little bit more. The polyurethane ones will ripple a bit less. So you know it's it might have a relation to type of muscle, uh, type of implant as well. Um, but it's it's something to it's something to have a discussion about and put into the mix and be involved in. But I wouldn't worry about it massively often the surgeon will have a view the problem comes with you see lots of surgeons because some might say oh, i put it under the muscle some will say i'll put it over the muscle so that can be a bit of an issue and it just shows that there's no absolutes unfortunately it is not a precise science surgery is not a precise science and it is about people's views and and it is about a balance of risk so no one can guarantee you won't get a problem if you have it under or you won't get a problem if you have it over there's a potential problems with either and it's just balancing those risks Kerry, what you got? Hi, JJ. I'm 11 weeks uh, post tummy tuck and love it. Back to exercise now, but I find it get quite swollen after any exercise. Is it still safe to continue exercise, especially low level ab work? No pain or discomfort, just swelling. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a message, Kerry, to you to say to back off a little bit. I mean, obviously, 11 weeks is a good length of time, but I, and I normally say to people, you can do whatever you want um, in terms of you're not going to damage stuff, but you have got to be a bit careful. And if it, if it is swelling after exercise, that would be for me that would be a message to say look back off a bit um especially the ab work you know obviously that's going to really work that area so i would say i would back off on that one kerry um and i would just take you a little bit easier and just listen to your body so um it, it, the problem is if you if you do push it and you do think i've got to work on my abs and stuff you, the more it swells the more difficult you know the longer it takes for that swelling to subside and then the longer it takes for you to get get settled and it can be a false economy if you do too much too soon so i normally say listen to your body and again if you are 11 weeks then um that is quite a long time but maybe get the binder back on when you're doing the exercises or wear something supportive um but yeah i would i would um back off a bit kerry if, if you're getting a bit of exercise uh i didn't mean price it's more i don't want to cut the muscle as i go to the gym well this is it if you go to the gym then the muscle is a problem because you can get animation deformities the problem though amanda often people who go to the gym are very slim so that can be a bit of a balance so if you can see your ribs and i'm thinking if you can see your ribs then there's a high likelihood you're going to be able to see the implant so that's the balance of of you know putting them on top of the muscle you it, but if you you know yeah um <clears throat> Claire, JJ, you performed breast augmentation with me 10 years ago this June, showing my age now. Um, when would they need changing? They don't need changing, Claire, but I hope you know there's an open appointment for you to come in at any time. So, Claire, come in and I'll have a look at you, see how you're getting on. We'll have a catch up. Um, the A lot of people say they've got to be changed every 10 years. They haven't. All the implants that I use have got a lifetime warranty. They're all built to last forever. So they're built to stay there forever. But you might have problems and around 10 years is sort of time you might have. If you haven't got problems, that's it. Done. Don't worry about it. As I say, you're welcome to come back even if you haven't got any problems. 
just so I can catch up with you. But if you haven't got problems, forget about it. The problems you're going to get, if you're going to get any problems, are probably going to be capsular contractures, probably the most common thing, which is scar tissue forming around the implant, making it feel hard, making it uncomfortable. So if you get uh, hardening and discomfort around it, then you might think about having them changed. That doesn't even mean you need to have them changed, even if you do get that. But if you do get some hardening and, and uh, discomfort, then that might mean that you're getting a bit of scar tissue around the implant. And you might want to think about that. And that's definitely something we could talk about. If you haven't got any symptoms, they don't need to be changed. But uh, as I say, you are welcome to come and have a catch up at any time. Um, but uh, but yeah, don't worry. If, if it's 10 years, that doesn't mean they have to be changed. Carry on with your life and leave them for as long as as you can, really, to be honest with you, the longer you leave them, the better is my advice on that one. I wouldn't I wouldn't particularly advise having them change if you've got no problems. I'd say, look, don't uh, don't don't touch them. Kerry Fab. Thank you. The binder is a great shout. Thank you. Good shout by me. Amanda. Thank you. Um, explained it well. I'll book and see you and, and see what you say. Yeah, by all means. By all means. Very happy to do that. Uh, well, we've got Shamina and we've got Susie. What you got? Susie, seven weeks post-op. I know, Susie, I remember it well. And so happy. Thank you. When do I start to reduce the time I wear my binder? Around now, Susie. I should be seeing you around now, shouldn't I? Um, so um, I normally see you around now, Susie. So if I haven't seen you, which I haven't, so give us a, you know. But uh, around now. And a bit like, I mean, Kerry's 11 weeks and she's still getting swelling. So, you know, if you are going to be doing stuff, then sometimes it is good to keep with the binder. But if you want to stop wearing the binder around now, yes, you can, Susie. So you can stop with the binder. But listen to your body if it swells, if it hurts. If you feel unsupported, you might want to put it back on. Again, you can not wear it at night if you want. But as I say, play it by ear. See how you feel. Shamina, what have you got for me? I have been told... 350cc is my limit due to being so slim and hardly any breast tissue. I then had another consultation with a different surgeon who said I can go 350 to 400. Would there be much of a difference with an extra 50cc, so going for 400? Good question, Shamina. This sort of question I get a lot. And I'll tell you the answer, Shamina. It depends. What a nightmare bloke saying a question, answering it like that, saying it depends. I'm sorry about that. But the fact of the matter is, Shamina, what matters with the implants is the shape is more important than the volume. People focus on the volume, like yourself, 350, 400. It's the shape that's really important. And the thing that I'd be particularly interested to know, Shamina, is if you've been told about profiles. So is the 350 and the 400 things, is that with the same profile? Because I'm going to try and keep you with me, Shamina. I hope I'm not losing viewers here because I'm going to get technical. So basically... When I look at an implant, when I'm sizing an implant, I measure the patient and I measure the width of their chest and you want to get an implant that's the right width. And then you look at implants with different projections. So there's different shapes. There's teardrop and round. Those are two different shapes. And there's different projections. There's low, moderate, high and extra high projection. They're different with different makes as well, which makes it even more of a nightmare, especially when you see different surgeons. If the different surgeons are using different makes, then it can get to be a bit of a minefield. But bottom line is, the width of the implant and the projection, how much it sticks out. So stay with me, Shamina. So if you've got, if you're saying, oh, well, shall I have a 350 or 400? Some people say, shall I have a 350 or a 400? I'm like, well, it depends on the profile. So let's say for the sake of argument, you're looking at maybe a moderate profile implant. The difference between a 350 and a 400 cc moderate profile implant is not going to be much because that extra 50 cc is in every direction. So if it's the same profile implant, 
If it's limited to 354, it's not much difference. And in fact, if it's the same profile implant, <clears throat> when you go up from 350 to 400, for instance, most of the difference comes in the width. More usually comes in the width than in the projection. They get more wide and only a little bit more projecting. So actually, if one surgeon says the 350 is a better fit, the 400 will be wide, if same profile will be wider and more likely you potentially feel the edges with only a little bit more projection. So may not be worth it. It's difficult. I'm talking hypothetically here because I don't know you and I don't measure you and everything like that. But if the surgeons talk, one surgeon's talking about a 350 moderate profile, for instance, and a 400 high profile, well, that's a different kettle of fish altogether because a 400 cc high profile will be narrower than the 350 moderate profile so that extra 50 cc's the 400 moderate is wider than the 350 moderate the 400 high is narrower and will have more projection so we'll have a 400 cc high profile implant will have significantly more projection than a 400 cc moderate profile implant because it'll be narrower and that extra 50 cc's will be a lot more in the projection so there's a, there is more of a difference if you're changing profile. Not sure how many people are still with me on this, but anyway, the bottom line is listen to your surgeon, talk to your surgeon, see who's talking sense and reasonable. There's probably not going to be a huge amount of difference, but if they are changing profile, there'll be more of a difference than if they're talking about the same profile. If they're talking about the same profile and the same make, because if they're using different makes, that's the other confusing thing that does your head in because a moderate profile of one make might have a similar dimensions to a high profile of another make. So that's what a nightmare this is, eh? Um, but anyway, hold on a minute. Shamina, high profile round. Okay, so if they're, if we're talking high profile round all the way there, Shamina, the answer is not much difference, mainly in the width. And, um, you know, I would be... I mean, you'll probably be fine, but it's just more the wider it is, the more risk it is of being able to see or feel the edges. But also uh, the projection won't be much. If you want to get into it, I wouldn't suggest you get into it. Some people do get into it. You can look, actually look at the projection of the two implants, the 350 and the 450. Look at the different in, in dimensions and you'll probably find if it's the same make, it'll be quite a bit wider, but only a little bit more projecting. So it won't have a significant effect on the result that you get. But psychologically, sometimes people think, oh, 400 sounds better than 350, and they feel better with 400. And that's important too. I mean, we are, shouldn't we lose sight of that? You've got to be comfortable with the decision. If you feel that, you know, 400 sounds better and the width is still within reason, well, then go with the 400, because you're always going to be in your mind thinking the 350 would have been too small, whereas, in fact, it probably wouldn't have been much different. I feel like I need some kind of infographic for this. I feel like saying it in words isn't really. Anyway, there you go. I gave it a go. Um, Sarah, I had a quote from another surgeon on the quote. It says, I'm having a bilateral augmentation mammoplasty. What is this? This is the best augmentation, Sarah. Um, it's just a fancy word for it. We use plastic surgeons, I think, are particularly guilty of this. We use all sorts of terribly, like, confusing words. And you think, what's that? And you think, oh, you know, um, there's this thing they do for cleft lip and palate for cleft lip patients, and they call it an intravelar velaplasty. Intravelar velaplasty. And you think, well, I mean, I'm going to do an intravelar velaplasty. And all they're basically doing is they're stitching the muscles together. That's it. Why can't they call it stitching the muscles together? Anyway, augmentation just means making it bigger. So, well, bilateral means both sides. Um, augmentation means making it bigger. 
mammoplasty, mammo um, is breast. Plasty is changing the shape of, like plastic. So both sides making bigger, changing the shape of the breasts. So basically it's a breast augmentation or breast enlargement, bilateral breast augmentation, BBA, people often call it, um, breast enlargement. Spell it really, it's the same. It's just another word for the same thing, Sarah. Does this mean all implants are being added? Yes, yes. I mean, almost certainly that uh, a bilateral augmentation mammoplasty is um, is breast in, is bilateral breast implants. The way we augment the breasts is with implants. I mean, you, there is fat grafting and stuff, but it's not massively done. And if it was fat grafting, it would specify fat grafting. So a bilateral augmentation mammoplasty would be the name for a breast implant operation. I mean, check with your surgeon. I don't want to be like held accountable, but yeah, that's that's what we call a breast implant operation. Um, Lisa, what you got? Long time no see yourself. Um, how long do I need to wear the poke binder for? I'm seven weeks post. Also, I'm going away in two weeks. Will I be okay to swim? So, Lisa, I've, have I seen you? I haven't seen you, have I? All these people haven't seen you because I've been away, isn't it? That's the problem. Um, Lisa and Susie, by the way, call us. You know, just get have a chat with Vicky and stuff like that, and come and see me. But I, know, I think probably um, anyway, we're here now. So the again, Lisa, you can stop. You can see how you go. If you want to stop wearing the binder at night, if you want to stop wearing the binder in day, then you can. If you're doing activities, you might find it more comfortable to wear it because you might find it swells. So listen to your body. If it swells, go back to it. If it doesn't swell, carry on. Um, seven weeks is relatively early. I normally say it's about three months before things really start to settle. So you're sort of halfway, just over halfway there. But, um, you know, it's it's still relatively early days. But you might find it more comfortable to not wear it, but you might find it when you don't wear it, it all swells up. You think, oh, crikey, I'm going to go back onto it. Um, go awake in two weeks, will I be able to swim? So yes, you will, Lisa. Assuming your wounds are healed, you haven't got any dressings on and stuff like that, definitely you'll be absolutely fine to swim. Obviously, don't go crazy on it because I'll make it swell and stuff. But just, you know, enjoying yourself in the in the in the water, absolutely fine, um, absolutely fine to 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 do to get it to get everything wet and swim and soak and all that sort of stuff. Um, Shamina, thank you. Explained perfectly. Oh, super person said I can always go bigger in the future. Yes, there you go. There you go. That's kind. Blimey. Um, does this? Oh, oh yeah. Sarah, thank you. Thank you, Sarah, for asking the question. Shamina, I already have a good chance of rippling due to no breast tissue to cover the implants. So I guess I should play it safe. And as you said, listen to the surgeon. Absolutely. I think if you're staying with the same um, projection, Shamina, you've got to be careful pushing that extra 50 cc because you can run yourself into problems. Um, and often it's only very, very minor, the difference in the, in the in the projection and the actual clinical result you're going to get. But you're going to get more chance of rippling, seeing the edges, feeling the edges. Um, so, yeah, I think you're very I think you're always best to, to play it safe as long as psychologically you're happy with that. Because obviously it's a big decision to to have this sort of surgery. Seeing me on the fourth. Uh, may the fourth be with you. Thank you, Lisa. Um, what you got? I have another question about post-op wound care as well. Is there a standard type of care schedule and products he uses? Um, so, yeah, I'll be honest with you. There is a standard post-op wound care. And I'm slightly ashamed to say this. We're a good company, aren't we? This, I, don't want, I hope this doesn't make me sound like it's sort of like... Um, but basically, it's the same for everything. By everything, I mean removing a mole 
or having a you know mummy makeover or some massive tummy tuck and breast reduction and arm lift thigh lift whatever whatever operation you have it's one week dressing comes off so um drains come out before you leave the hospital if you have drains at all um one week you come back all dressings come off and then six weeks you see me and then six months and then 12 months and then yearly but um but uh, that that's sort of the standard post-op wound care at six weeks you don't you just have dressings off and there's no there's no um just clean shower etc etc but there's no wound management the wound management or the, the scar management should i say so wound care basically usually the wounds heal up fine now obviously if there's a wound problem we will keep an eye on you and make sure your wounds heal up properly but if you have you know when you talk about wound care the wounds normally look after themselves and heal up fine and don't need intervention now if you need intervention vicky's here we'll do dressings etc etc but usually you have dressings on for a week the dressings come off and then no dressings and the, and the wounds heal up so more of the care i guess is about scar care and scar management and so i normally leave it about six weeks and then i see about six weeks and then we talk about scar care scar management um uh, because you need to let it all heal and knit together before you start doing anything in terms of um, scar management. And there we normally talk about massage, basically moisturizer and massage. Um, that's the mainstay of um, treatment. There are products that we've got at the clinic. You don't, to be honest with you, it's just it's more about moisturizing and massage with a good moisturizing cream. So if you have a moisturizing cream at home, then you can use that. Um, there are things that people people rate, aloe vera, Nivea E45, vitamin E. Um, you know, all sorts of people say, oh, this is really good. I don't think there's any evidence to say one thing's better than another. So moisturizing and massaging that wound, but you've got to leave it, as I say, at least six weeks to let that wound heal together. The scars often quite red and firm then, and then we get you massaging it. And then that is it. Now, if you get a problem, there are things you can do. Problem scars, lumpy scars, steroid, um, silicone dressings, etc. And these, you know, we've obviously got these products and things, but most people don't use them, don't, don't need them. Uh, most people don't need the silicone strips, silicone dressings. Usually moisturizer massage is the mainstay of scar management uh, for my patients. And there are products that we use in the clinic. Um, uh, that Vicky's got the QV range of creams and ointments um, for moisturizing and massage, which are very good. We've also got a range of silicone if you do have a problematic scar. But um, but really, it's, it's, it's about, um, yeah, that's, that's the mainstay of, of, of treatment. Um, here we go, Kerry. Um, ladies that are seven weeks, not that I'm an expert, but at that stage, I started wearing shapewear at bedtime rather than a binder for comfort. Do you know what, Kerry? You can wear shapewear, yeah, even, yeah, I find I agree with that. I think the binder, these binders, they like cost you know about 50 quid, and they're, um, they can be a bit cumbersome, they can dig in, they can cause all sorts of problems, and you can get something from you know MS or something, some big sort of figure hugging pants type thing shapewear as you say which sometimes people find more comfortable and i'm all for that if you've got something more comfortable don't feel you have to wear the bind or the post-op post garment we've given you you have to wear something that's supportive uh, and often you know wearing a supportive um shapewear or or big pants things can be better so yeah that's a that's um that's a good point kerry thank you for that shamina thank you um are blood thinners prescribed after most surgeries? No, 
I would say not. I'm, I'm assuming you're talking about plastic surgery here. Um, well, it, it counts to all surgery. They are prescribed following some surgeries. And you've got to remember, there's a balance. It's a bit like the muscle thing. There's a, bal there's a balance with everything in surgery. You know, there's risks and there's benefits. And it can be confusing when someone says one thing and someone says another thing and they say this and I had that and I had this. And um, you might think, what on earth is going on? But the, the problem is there's, there's, there's often bad things associated with, you know, he did that. He gave me blood thinners. He didn't give me blood. You know, there are bad things to giving blood thinners and there are good things about blood, blood thinners. Obviously, if you've just had surgery and you give blood thinners, you're going to increase the risk of bleeding and increase the risk of hematoma. So why would anyone give blood thinners to someone who's just had surgery? Well, the reason people give blood thinners is because when you have surgery, you're lying on an operating table and you're immobile. And there's a risk that the the, the um, blood can clot in the veins and that's called a deep vein thrombosis a dvt let's go delivery across the road um and that's a serious complication because that that thrombo i say across the road is he coming in um that's a serious flipping <laughs> live q a going on me can't park there mate no idea, mate. What's going on there? We've got a live broadcast. Um, so that's a serious complication. A DVT is a serious complication because that can fly off into your lungs and form a PE. So there is a very good reason to give blood thinners. So we would, but we would only give blood thinners in uh, operations with a higher risk of uh, that complication because the benefit of giving the blood thinner will then outweigh the risk of you bleeding basically um so that's longer operations and um particularly tummy tucks the one that sort of comes to mind because you're tightening the tummy and you're reducing the venous drainage of your legs so that's got a higher risk of dvt so for tummy tucks we do you give uh, blood thinners but for other operations like a breast augmentation or for smaller operations which are less length of time you're more likely to get back up back on your feet the best thing to stop a clot forming is to move so obviously while you're in the operating pit you're not moving Although there are things we do to reduce the risk of blood clots, which are those stockings we give you. And we put these things called Floatron boots on your legs, on your calves, which continuously um, pump them up to keep the blood circulating. Um, but the best thing you can do is to move. So if you're going to get up early mobilization, uh, walking around when you're at home and not doing anything, moving around, walking, this is going to reduce your risk of getting a DVT, reduce your risk of, uh, of getting a PE. Um, and so that's really important. But uh, so for some operations, mainly really tummy tucks, the one that springs to mind and longer operations, we would give you a blood thinner until you're fully mobile. But for smaller operations where you're mobile sooner and the operation's not quite so long, we wouldn't give you blood thinners. So um, it does depend. Can I have a tummy tuck and breast augmentation if I suffer from inverse psoriasis? Uh, yes, broadly. Now, assuming the psoriasis doesn't affect the areas of the surgery, so it does tend to affect the creases and stuff. I'm not sure. I mean, if it affects the breast where we make the incision on the breast, I would be more worried about infection, particularly with breast augmentation, because infection is a, or can be a real problem with breast augmentation. Because if you if you get a breast uh, implant, if you get infection with a breast implant in, you have to remove the implant. So that is a big deal. Um, so we do worry about infection with breast implants. So if you had sort of active psoriasis over the area of where we were making the incision, I think that would be a concern. 
Uh, and similarly, really, for tummy tuck as well, if you've got psoriasis in the fold, you often get it in the fold and the creases and things. If you've got it in the crease where you would have in the tummy tuck, I think that would be a concern. And we would look to see if we can maximize your um, treatment of the psoriasis to uh, reduce that risk. Now, if assuming the psoriasis isn't affecting the areas where you're having the surgery and your psoriasis in, is under control, it's not infected, it's not angry, it's not red, it's not open and sort of raw surfaces, then if it was quiet and just from there, I don't think that in itself would affect it. The other thing um, is if you want any sort of treatments that might delay your healing, that would be another thing to consider if you're having something like a breast augmentation and tummy tucks, there's quite a lot of wounds to heal, particularly the tummy tuck. So if you're in, in having um, treatments that would reduce your healing, that would be something we'd have to put into the mix. So what I would say is it's not an absolute contraindication. It's not a definite no. It's a relative contraindication. It's something we need to have a discussion about and, again, weigh up the pros and cons about whether that would be worth taking on the risks, the potential increased risk of surgery, um, and we'd have to weigh that against the benefits of surgery. Um, how long after having weight loss surgery can I have a tummy tuck and breast augmentation? It's the same person. I have a breast and breast augmentation. Is there a guide time frame? Well, the guide time frame is six months. Um, there's no sort of medical reason for it. The main reason for it is because you don't really want to have rebound weight, uh, and that is a problem. If you um, if you have well. It can, sorry, retract that. It's six months after you get to your stable weight. So it's not after six months after weight loss surgery. So obviously you have a weight loss surgery. You need to get to your, to your, to your uh, goal weight and then you need to sustain that weight. So it could be quite a bit longer than six months, sorry, um, because you don't really want to have um, fluctuate fluctuations. So you really need to be comfortable and stable with your weight loss there can be quite a lot of body changes and metabolic changes while you're losing weight, which could affect your ability to heal your wounds properly. So this is something, and if you're having weight loss surgery, you'll be under a bariatric surgeon or a weight loss surgeon. So this is something to discuss with your weight loss surgery surgeon because you'd have to get stable uh, and sort of metabolically stable before considering uh, body contouring surgery. So I'd say you want to get to your um, goal weight and then really be stable with that for about six months. Um, so that's, I don't know how long after weight loss surgery, that'll be maybe a year or so. I don't know. It depends on how long it takes you to get to your stable weight. Um, but that would be probably your weight loss surgeon would be able to, to, uh, to guide you with that. Um, but you know, we'd be happy to see you to talk about stuff, but we want to wait till you're comfortable and stable with your weight. Oh my God. Um, please, could you let me know if a breast reduction or possibly lift with liposuction is possible with only local anesthetic? Is this surgery available without sedation? If not, then which type of drug do you use to sedate people? So, um, so is it possible with just local anesthetic? It's probably possible, probably, but I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do a breast reduction or lift with liposuction under local anesthetic. Now, local anesthetic and sedation, fine. But local anesthetic without sedation, not so fine. Don't I wouldn't do it personally. Um, a breast reduction is quite a big operation. There's quite a lot to do. And I think it'd be really hard to get a good local anesthetic personally. It might, you know, maybe there's someone out there doing it like that. I don't know. But um, for me, it's not. 
If not, what type of drug do you use to sedate people? Well, I've got to be honest with you, I wouldn't be doing sedation. It will be with an anesthetist. The hospitals that I work at have all got facility for GA, for general anesthetic. It will be the anesthetist giving the uh, sedation. If there's any worries, if there's any concerns, if you're a bit uncomfortable, we could always convert to GA. Um, and I don't know what they use to sedate you. Um, but... Um, you could always talk to the anesthetist. It will be up to them, really. I wouldn't really tend to get involved with it. Um, but if you have got a view about drugs and um, and type of drugs to use for sedation, then yeah, that by all means we could we could um, arrange a call with you and the anesthetist to talk about that. But I I wouldn't really want to tread on their toes too much because it's not really my field. But yeah, local anesthetist would be required. Well, you got Lushy Lol. Prior to tummy tuck, would I require? type of error liposuction um no no you wouldn't uh, lushy lol um definitely not sometimes you do have liposuction at the time of tummy tuck so you can combine a tummy tuck with liposuction usually to the to the sides the hips the flanks um but uh, no you wouldn't do it prior i mean what i would say is you need to what we try and do is try and address the worst area first so usually the worst area is the abdominal apron and usually the big value for money uh, um, thing is is it is the tummy tuck rather than liposuction you can have liposuction at the time uh, uh, prior but i would say that the, probably the big benefit is going to come from the tummy tuck and then you could consider liposuction either at the time of the tummy tuck or if you're not sure whether you need liposuction or want liposuction later on i mean by all means you could have it before but you wouldn't need to have it before um it would be something that you would most people it's the tummy tuck that's the that's the overriding uh, problem and you get rid of that first and then if there's areas that maybe you haven't contoured quite so well like the sides or sometimes the upper abdomen you could always consider tummy uh, liposuction to those areas at a later date but um yeah wouldn't need, wouldn't need it have it first uh do we offer laser treatment therapy for pearly penile papules? Is this one of those? I'm going to take it seriously. I think it's always best to take these things seriously. So I'm going to take it seriously. Um, we don't do laser. Um, so no, we don't do laser for pearly penile papules. So, but uh, yeah, it would be something potentially treated by laser, but but we don't do laser. So yeah, sorry, no, don't, don't, can't help with that. Mrs. Victoria, have you got a long waiting list? Do you know what, Mrs. Victoria? And I've been away for a few weeks. I haven't been away. I've been here, but I've been not at work. Um, and to be honest with you, even when I was there, I didn't know what was going on in terms of the waiting list. So I'm even less. I know even less now. Um, I usually say if you something vague, like a few months, I haven't got a clue. Amy knows, although Amy's off, I think, or Amy was off on Monday. She, Nicola, someone at the clinic will know. If you ring the clinic or if you message us on Instagram, message us, say, you got, oh, I was asking about the waiting list, they'll give you an idea. It would depend on whether it's a GA or a local case. So if it's a local case, like a mole or something like that, then well, maybe not obviously, but the waiting list is less. But for the GA things like the tummy tucks and breast, or, you know surgery and things it's um oh there you go corin how do you know corin corin you can't answer questions like that we can't have patients asking our talk asking answering our other patients questions how can i i need to unlike it corin 
Right, Corin says three to four months. Thank you, Corin, for that. To put Corin on the payroll. Right. Apparently it's three to four months, uh, Victoria M. Um, probably that probably sounds good. Sounds about right. There you go. Um, right. Can I have inverted nipple correction at the same time as breast augmentation? Yes. People get a bit tied up in knots with all this inverted nipple correction thing. Um, sorry, it's paused the app because I've got low battery. Oh, God. Um, all these wireless things. Can I put the wireless things? The wireless thing. Find it. Um, why is this flashing? Um, right, sorry, Facebook, we've got a... Right, bear with me, bear with. flashing this has never happened before um the the microphone's flashing and i think it's because <laughs> i'm running out of battery so i've and i i haven't got the plug-in thing anymore i bought one of those wireless pads but i can't put the wireless pad wireless on the tripod anyway is it working right okay I should have charged my phone what an amateur what a complete amateur right okay let's gloss over that um Samantha Van Aston, thank you. Um, so I'm wirelessly padded up, but I've got to hold it. Um, Facebook's fine, isn't it? Because Facebook's on the computer. Anyway, I'll hold it. It's all right, isn't it? That's my, that's my muffler. Uh, right, okay, sorry. Um, what was the question? There was something I was talking about, something, wasn't I? Um, sounds gone. We've lost interest waiting list. Oh, inverted nipple. Yes. Um, can you have any? Yeah, people get a bit wound up with this inverted nipple and uh, breast surgery question because some surgeries, I'm holding it a bit close, some surgeries have, um, you, you, you do stuff to the nipple. So mainly that would be breast lifts and breast reduction. So the breast lift or a breast reduction, you're doing stuff to the nipple, you're moving the nipple, so you're affecting the vascularity of the nipple. So I wouldn't tend to do a... Um, Right. Okay. It's okay. <laughs> right. So I've got to hold the. Um... Is the sound gone again? Right. I think I think the um, the sound is going because the power's low. Oh god! I should have the plug-in thing, and I'm not holding the thing properly. Anyway. We're just gonna, yeah. I know I've gone again. The the um the the sound goes because the set the, the battery's running low. Yes, and I I'm holding the pad behind the phone. Facebook, can you see? I'm trying to hold it 
behind the phone, but I'm obviously slipping. <laughs> and then the charge is going, and then the the uh, microphone obviously turns itself off when the battery. So I'm going to hold the mic, the wireless pad there, and we're all fine. Right. So breast augmentation and inverted nipple correction is fine. We're good on that. If you're doing stuff to move nipples and moving and affecting vascularity in nipples, which you're not doing with a breast augmentation, you're just putting an implant behind the whole breast. This is the best Q&A, my God. Um, then um, <laughs> you're being I've liked it. Being I don't care. I'm going to leave it. It's there. It's there in black and white. Um, if you're doing stuff to move the nipple like a breast lift or a breast reduction, I would personally wouldn't do an inverted nipple correction because I worry about the vascularity but I would do it for doing a breast augmentation. Um, up here on Facebook, uh, not on Facebook, on Instagram, back before when I had, can someone with inverse psoriasis have a tummy tuck or breast augmentation? The me now, I answered that earlier. Um, broadly speaking, what I said was it's not an absolute contraindication, so it's not a definite no. It's a it's it's something we'd have to discuss, see if the psoriasis was affecting the areas where the incisions would be, number one, and number two, make sure the psoriasis wasn't active, open, and potential for infection, which could then get to the wound. So if your psoriasis was quiet, we could always talk to your dermatologist or whoever's looking after your psoriasis and make sure that there wasn't risk of infection and flare-ups and things. The other thing is if you're on immunosuppressants or anything that's going to dampen down the risk of wound healing, that would be something to take into account. So, uh, But I did do the psoriasis thing earlier. Um, right, inverting it. Well, that's it. I'm out in more ways than one. What a nightmare. Okay, sorry about the um, sound loss there. I'll try and make sure I've charged my phone appropriately prior to the Q&A. So that is it for another Tuesday night. Lovely to be back. Belter there, that was. Hopefully we can do the same next week. Well, I'll be here next week. Hopefully I'll have some questions to answer. Great questions there. Thanks for asking. Sorry I missed it. Don't worry, the me now. It's early. You can catch it on the catch-up. But basically, yeah, res, you made it there. Always happy to uh, have a chat. Um and I will be back next Tuesday, same time, same place. And um, <laughs> been the funniest. Yeah, well, Corinne, it's not. Um, thanks for answering the waiting this question. And uh, yeah, it's it is an educational um, event. You know, it's. Uh, but anyway, you know, I'll take what I can get, <laughs> and I will check out of here. And uh, wish you good evening and wish you farewell. Facebook, I'm going to check out Facebook. Love you big time and YouTube. Let's question not covered in today's show then send it over to info at styanoplasticsurgery.co.uk using the hashtag askjj we'd love to hear from you